0: i thrilled to have in studio with me one of my colleagues here at Crawford Broadcasting, Angie Austin. Thank you so much for having me again. It's wonderful. It's so great to have you here. And it was a great conversation last time, but uh, but I heard through the grapevine that you are one of the most interesting people out there. So why don't you tell me <laughs> a little bit about you? You know, it's so
1: interesting that you'd ask me this today because I just had a, uh, a conversation with one of my good friends, Ross Schaefer, who was a TV personality. He did game shows like Match Game, and he's written a lot of books. And now he's a like a national speecher, speaker for Fortune 500 companies. And over and over again. He said, write your story. And every time I tell someone my background or testimony, they're like, are you kidding me? Because, you know, the picture of me on like a news set, I did 20 years of TV news in Los Angeles and San Diego and You're Denver. old enough to do that. Did you start at the age of five? No, I'm, I'm, I'm plenty old <laughs> enough. So I um, did all the. So the picture of me sitting on a set with my publicity photo was so perfect. And so I wanted to write something like life behind the camera wasn't what it seemed or life behind the camera wasn't perfect uh, because my background is so was so difficult. And when I gave him a skim yesterday, he's like, you've got to write this. People will not believe what you've lived through. He said, no one would ever look at you and know that this was your reality. And how did you get where you are coming from that background? So my dad just died this summer and it I'm kind sorry. of, thank you. It was a happy ending because we, we had been estranged for 30 years. He pretty much abandoned our family when I was about 12. He was a okay. professor. He was an alcoholic. He was an abusive alcoholic to so my mother. There were four kids and I had the room next to them, so whenever he'd drink, I would hear every second of the assault on my mother, and so would my brothers to some degree, but I was six when I started hearing that. Where did you fall in the family? Uh, Two older brothers, one a genius, the other ended up being a drug addict, who was murdered, And then my youngest brother, who also became a drug addict. And when my dad passed, my brother that went to West Point Military Academy and graduated in the top 1% of his class, I said, will you go to dad's celebration of life? Because I had reunited with my father. He was a different man when he didn't drink. He was an excellent grandfather. I've known him for seven years as the new man, okay? okay? So my brother wrote to me and said... I understand you forgive him, but it's I can't forgive that he basically is responsible for the death of two of our brothers, that allowing drugs into our home when we were kids, and listening to mom be abused when I was a child is too much for me to forgive. He said, I don't think about it much, and I respect that you were able to forgive, but I never got there, so no, I will not come to his funeral. So,
0: but backing up, two of your brothers both passed on, they, two of them? He says
1: that the second one is basically dead because he's in a homeless shelter. He was a meth addict, and he's a shell of who he could have been. Got it, got it. Because he started, he was allowed, marijuana was allowed in the home, and he started when he was six. Okay. And so we don't believe he ever became the person he could have had he not been introduced to drugs at such a young age. Because for him, it did then escalate. What do you do? Your brain isn't ready. And my dad had tremendous guilt over that. Okay. Okay. And I think that's part of the reason that he abandoned our family after the divorce. He just couldn't deal with the shambles of what he'd left behind.
0: Oh, my gosh, Angie. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so your your older brother said, good for you, but I can't do it. Correct. And so you go to your, your father's memorial
1: service. It's coming up in a year, but I had to write his obituary. And I had to honor my brother that didn't forgive him. And I asked my stepmom if I could write in there that... Um, he had was open about his struggles with alcohol, and I'm proud that later in his life, he became the man that my children could admire as a grandfather. And she said yes, that I could write that, because I didn't want to just gloss over that, you know, from 12, you know, for th- 35 years, he was absent from my life, basically. Wow. Wow. What about your mom? Uh, my mom has basically been taken care of by me for the majority of her life, which has been another complicating issue, because... We lived in low-income housing. She worked in a factory. She hadn't graduated from college. So how did I then go on to put myself through college, living in low-income housing, working seven days a week all through high school and college? I worked at Boulder Community Hospital uh, as a cleaning girl. I'd clean the morgue. I'd clean the emergency room. Every night, I'd work four hours, and every weekend, I would work 16 hours. So I'd work between 36 and 40 hours and graduated with honors um, and did that seven years And uh, worked up to, you know, not cleaning the morgue anymore. I did the instrument trays for the operating room and made pretty decent money and saved and paid for my college and lived in low-income housing with my mom. And then my first job was at NBC in Los Angeles. And so within six months, Kim, I went from low-income housing to making over $100,000 a year in the union at NBC in Los Angeles. And within a few years, bought an oceanfront penthouse and a Porsche, but realized those weren't the things that were going to make me happy.
0: However, that is a pretty amazing story that you go from low-income housing to a beachfront property. And Angie, one of the things that I just so totally love about America is the American idea that that is possible. Yes. That now we're talking about financial success, but uh, you know, I think that it really is the whole person, heart, soul, mind, and body. Absolutely. So you can have all the trappings and, and good, great for you. Yeah. And um, because you have all those trappings doesn't mean that you can't have the other things in order as well, but sometimes it doesn't happen. So you said you were here, but maybe everything else wasn't in order yet. What, did, what happened on your journey? I um, had stayed in foster care at one point in my life,
1: and I lived with an uh, abusive aunt at one point in my life. She had taken me to church. The foster family took me to church. So I was saved when I was uh, 12. And so I feel that coming back to my faith in my late 20s and early 30s, that's where I really felt called. There was an accident that happened on the freeway in uh, California, and I really truly believe that the Lord you know, came knocking for me and had a moment where it was very clear to me that I was supposed to return to the church.
0: You know, that's an interesting thing that you would mention. Um, actually, within the next few, probably within the next three weeks, I will have finished reading the complete Bible. Good for now, you. that doesn't mean that I got everything, right. because sometimes I'm going through Leviticus and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I need to get the I need to get the car serviced, the egg, you know. I need eggs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I can't say that I got everything, but I've been encouraged by, and, and he since passed on uh, Ron Wall, one of our instructors at, at uh, my church, uh, that daily Bible reading is really important. But the one thing that I can say as, I've, as I'm reading through this book, it's this um, pursuit of of God to man, that He wants to have this relationship with us, and that seems to be what that that theme is throughout yes. uh, throughout the Bible. and so and sometimes folks get kind of smacked in the face with a God that is pursuing them, and that sounds like that's what happened to you,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that was life changing. So that that's when I found that peace that, you know, when you've been let down by that many people that are supposed to love you, it's very difficult to trust. I
0: just can only imagine. I
1: was like an island. I didn't trust anyone. If you crossed me, then you couldn't come on my island. I would date you, but I wouldn't get married. You know, I would Mm -hmm. have long term serious relationships, but would never make the step towards marriage because I'll date you for five years. But do I trust you to not, you know, hurt me? I don't know. And so same thing with friends. I had a hard time keeping lasting friendships at the time because I didn't trust people to not hurt me. And so that b- going back to church and having the love of the f- a father, meaning the father above, replaced that lack of love that I had that, you know, my father was absent in my life and didn't come back until, you know, seven years ago.
0: You know, you are not alone because, quite frankly, humans do let us down. Yeah. It, it just, it happens. And, and many times they may not mean to. But it happens, and that was one of the things about my faith. Is I realized that, uh, you know, Christ is not. Uh, this is not a um, a force thing. He actually says, "You can choose. You can choose whether or not you believe in me or not. I'm not going to force myself." Now, religion's gotten a little whacked out from time to time, trying to force people to do things. But as I was thinking about Christ on the cross, I realized that he's gone through everything that any of us could have ever gone through. Yes. loss of our friends looking down and seeing your mother cry because she knows that her child is going to die. Um, People lying about you, no clothes, no possessions. He did it all. And so, knowing that, that this God uh, of creation has pursued us and sent his son to the cross to overcome this so that we can just overcome death so that we could have a relationship, all of a sudden, and I, I don't want to um, gloss over the challenges that people have, but with your story, all of a sudden that you realize that there is somebody. That you can always depend on and yes. that is empowering. And we'll never
1: let you down and that you're worthy and can give you that because there were so many incidents that I can pick from my childhood that could have really crushed me, you know, being labeled and being embarrassed by where I lived, not having family support, basically raising myself from 12 on that. Um, and my friend actually asked me um, yesterday when we talked about, you know, how to get the book started. Um, what what is it how did you get out and I believe my faith is ultimately the reason that going to live with that abusive aunt even though it was a horrible experience, I'll forever be grateful that she took me to church. And I do believe that that the Lord had a plan for me. And oddly enough, my name's Angela. My father named me after his grandmother Angel because he too had a difficult childhood, of course. And his grandmother raised him from about the age, you know, 12, 13. And he named me after grandmother Angel. And Angel means messenger of God. And here I ended up being a Christian radio host and, you know, a TV personality. And so that really fits in with, I guess, maybe God's plan for my life that, you know, there was a plan for me.
0: Well, def- I just got chills when you said that. Um, so I want to make a point. You, you had an abusive aunt, but she took you to church. Yeah. And sometimes out of tough things, good things can happen. Correct. You said that it has been your your faith that allowed you to get out of this. So you're working all these hours. You're a Christian by then, uh, and you do you feel that there's a purpose? Is that there's something pushing you on, Angie, or what's happening with you? You know, it's interesting because I
1: wanted out. I wanted better for myself and my family. I didn't want to be that. Maury Povich, you know, um, who's your daddy living in a trailer with six kids? You know, I Mm -hmm. wanted to be someone. So I was very protective of myself. You know, when people were drinking and partying, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that because other people made bad decisions for me. So I was going to make good decisions for myself. And I know kids from abusive backgrounds oftentimes follow in that crummy, marry a Mm -hmm. creepy guy, you know, drink Mm -hmm. themselves, party, do drugs. But I did all the opposite of what other people I'd seen around me do, um, except for the one brother that graduated in the top 1% of his class at West Point Military Academy, who's an engineer, who's brilliant. He was a role model for me. So I think that was important for someone. A lot of these kids from bad backgrounds don't even have anyone to aspire to be like. And I did see someone who was excelling. So I did see that. And my dad had his PhD and he'd gone to law school. He was no dummy. Mm -hmm. You know, he just drank too much and he was abusive when he drank. So... I think it's important to have someone to aspire to be like. And then was I pushed on? You know, I'm going to have to explore that more. I don't know what it was. My aunt that I was very close to who became a surrogate mom, she said my drive, because my mom wasn't driven, she said my drive came from their side of the family, that they all had come from difficult backgrounds. They all had, you know, excellent educations and, you know, had gone on from nothing to become something. And she said it was in my genes. Do I believe that God was looking out for me, you know, from that time I was saved or even younger? Yes, but I don't know what it was exactly that made me graduate with honors and work seven days a week for seven years. I don't know. I mean, there was was no fun in there.
0: No, there was no fun. And and, uh, you weren't partying in college, that's for sure. So, hey, let's go to break, Angie. This is Kim Munson, and we are having a conversation with Angie Austin about an amazing life. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are having a conversation with Angie Austin. Angie, we are on Crawford Broadcasting KLZ five hundred and sixty. I think you're also on another of Crawford stations as well. Before yes. we get into, uh, I'm just dying to talk with about this story. It's so amazing. But let's make sure people know, you know, where you are and exactly what you're doing on the radio dial. I do the good news on AM six hundred and seventy, our sister
1: station at two p.m. And then I'm here at the Angie Austin and Michael Pelka show, and we're on and Steve will- me because I've been gone all summer in California, but we're on at 11 a.m. Mountain Time here on KLZ, and we're syndicated around the country. And we're also on from 4 to 6 a.m. right before you in the morning. Do I have that right, Producer Steve? Yep. Yes. Good. That's it's the that. same as when I left, but I still recorded somewhat in California. But with the death of my father and being there with my kids and my husband working, I'll be honest, I did a do over and I relived my childhood and went back to L.A. because I worked seven days a week when I worked for NBC News in L.A. Sure. I worked seven days a week. I'd work in L.A. Monday through Friday. And then I did weather in Santa Barbara on the weekends. And then when I anchored in San Diego, I'd come and do weather in L.A. on the weekends. So I continued that working seven day a week thing all the way into my 30s and through my mid-30s. So there was this drive in me to succeed that couldn't be stopped. And people, when I ran into them in summer, were like, you were the hardest working person I ever met but I don't feel that way anymore. Like I'm like, I'm kind of done. You know, like now you're still,
0: I... you're still you know, t- a three hour show, you know, at 4 a.m. Uh, you are a hard worker, Angie Austin. So <laughs> Now it feels like part time to have the weekends off. <laughs> I'm sure. So uh, websites, all that information? Uh, AngieAustinRadio.com. Okay. AngieAustinRadio.com. You can find out a little bit there. Okay, great. I wanted to go back to something that you said, four children in your family. Uh, certainly uh, your your father as a you know, when you were a child was not a good role model, but for kids, two kids make really good decisions and two kids don't. It's the same bucket of water. So you don't have to be, there's this narrative that says to kids you're disadvantaged, you know, and and the implication is you can't overcome that, but you did overcome that. And I think that's a message that I want to make sure people understand is, is, is you're not necessarily a product of how you were raised. You're a product of the choices that you make.
1: I do think that we started, I started way behind the starting line. And so other kids were at the starting line and I was a mile behind them and I had to catch up to them and pass them if I wanted to reach the trophy in life, if I wanted to reach the goals that I wanted. And there's plenty of trophies and medals. So, you know, I may have been equal to them at the finish line, but I definitely started behind many of my colleagues and many of my friends in life with very few advantages,
0: if any, really. Well, and some sometimes people with advantages run in place. That's true. That's true. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I really think that we have a responsibility, each of us, to strive for excellence and to do and be the very best that we can be. And uh, so uh, anything else you want to tell us about that? Because I'm interested in your summer vacation as well.
1: Um, Yeah, I think that, um, you know, having all of those years where I was estranged, you know, from my father and then him calling out of the blue... And saying, uh, you know, I, I'd like to, I, he, you know, he called this seven years ago. And in my dad's typical narcissistic fashion, he wasn't coming to Colorado to visit or meet my children that he'd never met or my husband that he'd never met. He was coming to um, go to the University of Colorado to get an award for uh, a 50-year award for athlete, athletic excellence or something of a sort. He was quite an athlete and was doing Tai Chi up until the day he died this summer and uh, was one of the highest degree black belts. And um, So anyway, he was coming for that. But he came with a friend, and when I answered the phone, and he said, Angela, I knew it was him, and I knew the second I heard his voice that I'd forgiven him. And I'd made a, attempts at reaching out in the past and seen him a couple of times over that time, but he didn't know any of my children and had never met my husband. And we'd been married, you know, good, you know, not quite 10 years by then so anyway to make a long story short I wanted him to um, meet my children and see the joy of you know and how well they were being raised and um, I wanted my kids to see forgiveness in action because if I claim to be a Christian then I should really be showing uh, them that so to make a long story short um, he came and he sobbed on my couch for at least five minutes and I think it was the guilt he knew he'd made a mistake with the two boys and allowing drugs in the house and you know condoning the the drug use that then led them down a pretty bad path and the mm-hmm. alcohol And he was a bad example. So I said, Dad, I've forgiven you. Like, it's okay. And, I mean, sobbing, his whole body shaking, you know, his nose running onto the floor, his his tears running onto the floor. And, like, he'd just seen someone in a car accident die, just his whole body racked with these just shaking. And he had a friend there who was uh, a Christian who'd been friends with him for 40 years because he had, like, surrogate student friends who became, like, children. And this was his only Christian friend, interestingly enough, that it brought him. And he told Keith, his friend, that he wanted to pray. And that's, you know, when the tears started. And when I said I'd forgiven him, he said, I know I can tell. And I just think that release of all of the guilt that Mm -hmm. he had and knowing that he got me back. And I was the only one, really, that Mm -hmm. of the four kids that he ever had a relationship with again. But um, after we took a family vacation... Um, we did um, a family camp with him, and he caught the, taught the kids Tai Chi, and we had meals together, and he helped me with child care, and he watched the kids swim. I interviewed him on my show, and I said, and what I wanted was him to see the beauty of these children, because he'd really lost out on, on the childhood of his own children. And I said, Dad, what do you think of family camp? And he started sobbing, and he said, those moments with those grandbabies were the most beautiful moments of my life and that's what I wanted for him to see the joy of like children and experience that and he called every Sunday until the day he died and my husband even said because he's like why after everything he put you through and he hasn't been there for you and he abandoned you like why why are you gonna like let him meet the kids why is he coming here he said you know I have to tell you um Uh, He proved me wrong. Not many people take that second chance and run with it. And he really did. He became an honorable man and he really did what he promised he would.
0: Wow. So anything is possible.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying if you forgive someone, they can become your friend. I told my brother I didn't plan on him becoming my friend, yeah. but we took a trip to Nashville last fall. and We learned to line dance together, and we had such a blast and bought cowboy boots, and he was such a goofball. He bought an electric cowboy hat that lit up in the dark, and they're like, <laughs> look, everyone, Willie Nelson is here, because he looks like Willie Nelson, and it was just a gas to be with him, but I didn't plan on being his friend. It just happened that way, but, but you don't have to forgive someone and become their friend. Just put your toe in the water and
0: see how it goes. And there is a difference between a for, forgiveness and relationship. Correct. But forgiveness and is the first step towards relationship. Correct. But sometimes you can forgive somebody and you may not want to spend a whole lot of time with them. Exactly. But what that means, I think forgiveness is really for you, me, the person. so I 100% that, agree so that with you. So you're not dragging that burden around.
1: Uh, and that's what I told my brother. And he's like, I just can't forgive you because I don't talk about it much. But... um I just can't. He he truly, I mean, the, the words that he wrote to me were so powerful when we talked about dad's passing and the things that he recounted that he remembered were so vivid to him. And, you know, being a 12-year-old and listening to my mom be assaulted and beaten and him shaking and hiding and how he blamed my dad for the death of our brothers. And again, the ones in a homeless shelter, he's not dead, but dead to my brother. I mean, he hasn't had anything to do with him, you know, in years. It's too, I think he feels he's being loyal to my mom by not forgiving, but I told my mom after dad died, I'm like, mom, everyone that's ever harmed you is dead. Now it's time to forgive. Mm
0: -hmm. And how's that going for her? Better. Okay. Okay. Because Sometimes she's really carried
1: that, she's really carried that backpack of unforgiveness, all those rocks mm-hmm. around her whole life, and mm-hmm. it really has decreased the joy in her life.
0: And you know, Angie, we're gonna—I don't think we're gonna get into everything that I wanted to chat with you about, but that is joy. And I'm gonna just ask you a quick question. You know, many times in America today, people say you deserve to be happy, and they're I hear that, and I know people are really well-meaning when they say that. But first of all, I'm not sure I believe that we deserve anything. And second I of all, I do think that the Lord allows
1: us to claim our joy, even in the midst of pain. You, you, Go but, ahead. But there's, but I think there's a
0: difference between happy and joy.
1: That is so true, Kim. Okay, because joy is you deciding that in the midst of this, I'm going to find. A array sure. of sunshine somehow
0: exactly so i think that there is really something different and so we have just about three minutes so maybe this is where we're going to talk about happiness and joy and deserving things you've worked hard and you now have a porsche and a penthouse and my husband maybe get rid of that but anyway yes i
1: yes i had i couldn't even buy the penthouse back i went to la and it's over two million dollars now so i don't even think i could buy it back now
0: well you couldn't get all your kids in that porsche that's now, true so. that's true but you'd, you'd arrived. Yes, yes. But something, something still. So what, what happened? I there? think it was faith that
1: I didn't, nothing can fill the hole in your heart. The Porsche, it's not a Porsche-shaped hole. It's not an oceanfront condo-shaped hole. It's not a boyfriend or husband or child-shaped hole or father-shaped hole. That only Jesus can truly fill that hole in your heart and give you that sense of peace that does surpass all understanding. And that's what I was led back to, my faith, because I had, you know, once I'd come home from the foster home and the abusive, you know, um, aunt, my mom did not take me to church, and I slipped away from all of that. Um, Did I still have a sense of morality and right and wrong? Yes, I believe so, but I don't think that I had the peace that comes with having a relationship with the Lord.
0: And we're just about out of time, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, through all these years, what are we to do as Christians? Is it that we're to serve? Is it that we're to give everything away? You know, what what are what is it that we're supposed to do? And I think I I think I finally got it. What? And that is we are to love Him because He loved us first. And when we do that, it it provides no matter what's going on in your life, you can live a joyful life wherever you are. Doesn't mean you don't have challenges but it can give you joy. What do you think? I think that relationship that you're on the right
1: track there, but then how do you daily, like you mentioned, daily uh, Bible reading? Is it journaling every day? Is it quiet time? Like we have to make the time or there's a distance in the relationship, just like there would be with a person if you ignore them. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Angie Austin, we are out of time, but again, what is your website so people can find you? AngieAustinRadio.com, and you can email me there as well. And thank you so much for having me on. You're so smart. Oh, you are too. What a powerful, <laughs> what a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And when the book is done... You know, we'll make sure you're on again for that. I'll let if, you know. And before. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Thanks so much, Angie.